Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. Brantley is here. It's been a while. It has. It's been about a month. And Ty was planning on being here, but we had to uh, we had to bring in the big guns for <laughs> this episode because Ty wasn't able to uh, to make it. He has some some prior obligations. He had. To we'll just say to. he has a little cub. He has a little grizz cub. That's thinking about coming tonight. We're not really sure. It. He this had to Monday be on night. call. So John Kraft is here. Uh, welcome, John, to the Thank show. Um, John is, uh, he works in Memphis. He's a super fan. He, uh, we're always talking grizz with John throughout the year. So uh, I think you're going to appreciate This is long overdue, I feel like. It is. It is. He is mm. uh, he's in the Grizzden community for sure. And we're excited to have you on, John. It's be fun. Yeah, put no, you on the I'm, spot. Do you have a Grizzden shirt? Do I have a Grizzden shirt? Uh-oh. I believe I do somewhere. <laughs> Actually, because I was looking for for it tonight, but I could not find it. There so. we go. So, so I do now have that's it, official. Though. He can, he has a shirt. He um, can be here. So and I, and I hope you know I I hope that's big uh, expectations. But oh yeah, don't hype me up too much. But well, listen, I'm sad Ty couldn't be here. Yeah, I, absolutely. Ty, I was just so. joking. You're a big gun too. Don't worry. Don't get your feelings <laughs> hurt. Um, well, this is a great podcast to to jump in on because the season just ended. The Grizzlies um, outperformed pretty much any expectation. I would say that even the biggest Grizzlies fan had, um, and. It was just a, a magical run. So what we're going to do is we're going to start the podcast by doing a little bit of a retrospective on the season, talking about takeaways, reflections, what we, um, you know, how we felt this team evolved. Um, and then we're going to talk about the playoffs because there's a play-in tournament that, honestly, we I personally had a preseason prediction that the Grizzlies would be in the seventh seed, so I fully expected the Grizzlies to potentially be playing in this this week, but now we get to rest a little bit until Saturday at 2.30. We're going to be playing the winner of the Clippers and Wolves game, and that's going to be happening on Tuesday night. So uh, we're going to be – you're probably listening to this podcast on Monday, and we are going to kind of talk through both scenarios of if the Wolves win or if the Clippers win – pros and cons of both of those. And then we each have come up with some questions that we think the playoffs could potentially answer about this Grizzlies team. So that's the agenda for today. Uh, So let's start talking about the season. Uh, There's a tweet that kind of went viral within Grizzlies Twitter, and it was about all the records that were broken by the team this season. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of run through those, and I want you all to tell me which one is kind of your favorite for whatever reason, um, and then we can kind of go from there. So, let's start at the top. Shout out at D-Melt fan, which is just ironic. Uh, How's that Dylan Brooks hate account going? <laughs> oh, it was popping off for a little bit there. <laughs> not doing great now. Uh, all right, so this is at D-Melt fan. We, here's all the records. Most points scored in a game by a single player in franchise history. John Morant had 52 most blocks by a player in, in a season in franchise history. Jaron had 177. Most three-pointers made by a player in franchise history, 228 by Desmond Bain. Most offensive rebounds by a player in a season in franchise history. Steven Adams had 349. Most points by a player in consecutive games in franchise history. John Moran had 98 in two games. It's insane. And we became the team 
the first team in NBA history to lead the league in steals, blocks, and rebounds per game. We had the longest winning streak in franchise history at 11, the most away wins in a season in franchise history with 26, most points in a quarter in franchise history that happened the other night, 55 in the third quarter against the Pelicans, most points in a game in franchise history, 152 against the Thunder, biggest margin of victory in that same game, 73, first division title, in franchise history, and then tied the record for the most wins in a season in franchise history of 56. Um, out of all those records, it's a lot of records. Which one stands out to you? Which one do you is is the most fun? Get us craft. Uh, so the first one, um, honestly, the first one is that hits me is the Bain three point record because I think. For me, at least when I look back at my pre preseason predictions, um, I I thought Jaron would – I hoped that Jaron would take a leap defensively. I thought Jaw – I don't know. I didn't think – you know, I didn't think any of the Grizzlies would take any of the, the, the size leaps they did, but I thought Jaw was going to start to cement himself as an all-star. I thought Jaron was going to take a leap defensively. Um, I hoped he would take a leap offensively. We can get into that. That didn't happen maybe as much as I would have liked. But, uh, but Bain – shooting being one of the best three-point shooters in the nba like in the world and really becoming in my mind part of the core with john jaron mm. as someone that it would take an it would take a special player to want to trade him now and i don't think that was i feel like last summer i would have been putting bane in a lot of you know uh, in a lot of trade machine things. And so that's the biggest, I mean, and obviously other parts of Bain's game are, are great. And part of what makes Bain great is, is all the, the drives and the shots he makes within the three point line. But, but that one kind of stands out as not something I would have expected coming in for him to have this large of a role. So, so that one stands out to me. What about you, BD? There's a there's a lot of like really fun memories embedded just in that entire thread. It was really crazy just to actually read back through them, just on just the journey that we've been able to enjoy this year. I think that you, it's this is not the one that I would have thought I would have said because there's so many like highlights and scoring that as Grizz fans we just haven't been accustomed to um, with the core four, you know, previously in the grit and grind era, but the. You know, becoming the first team in NBA history to lead the league in steals, blocks, and rebounds per game, that's nuts to me. And I think you you sort of – I was when I read that, I was sort of trying to think about what were teams in my past that I think that could have done that and, like, been on this sort of trajectory. And I, I just kept coming back to the Pistons, like the Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace Pistons, who, like, had that sort of defensive, gritty mindset – and you know, won obviously a couple of championships, um, I, and they they didn't have all those stats together. So that's just one that it's just almost even seems opposite because of the flashiness of the team that this team was really known for. That's a good one. Yeah, mine was Jaron the blocks. I, I and it it's less almost about the blocks and more about him having enough time on the floor to even accrue a stat that would be big enough to break a record. Because if we go back to last summer, our biggest debate was around what is the number for Jaron? Because it could either be a great deal or just a disaster. And 
to see him blossom into a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. Now, he's a homer, but John Hollinger even put him on his ballot as defensive player of the year. Uh, It's unbelievable. And he is really, I mean, we can get into his role on the team in the playoffs, whether he needs to be the five or whatever. But none of that matters Like when you look back at this season because he cemented himself as an absolute part of the core and not one that, I don't know. The question marks have kind of left for Jaron, at least right now for me. There's a little bit of the foul stuff that's coming back near the end of the season, but for the most part, he stayed on the floor avoided those ticky-tack fouls, and, uh, I mean, I don't know how many guys you would take above him when you're talking uh, rim protector, um, just anchoring a defense. So, to me, that was just unbelievable. So, I was really excited about that one. Uh, And and we have to say, too, I mean, the the fact... Let's let's go into our, our like preseason predictions for wins because I think this is kind of funny. John, do you you had a preseason prediction? I assume for wins. Yeah. For so I had um, here. I'll actually quote myself uh, <laughs> to that, quote the great. <laughs> to quote myself. Uh, I expect uh, me to say I'm very bullish on the Grizzlies. So I was saying that I was bullish. I expect Grizzlies to have a win total in the high 40s and maybe get 50 wins if things. <laughs> break unbelievably unbelievably right <laughs> i.e perfect health for all our players um you know west team struggling i love our culture and chemistry um and then i go into that i thought losing jv was actually a better move long term but i actually think adams might be an improvement uh did not expect what we expected <laughs> and i said you know so so then and then i want to say like so if everything breaks right i think we might be able to get the five seed and stay out of the play-in um, Can I ask you a question now, just 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 for fun? Would you say that everything broke right for this team? No, that's what's crazy about it. <laughs> I will. I, if you had told me before the year, Jaw will only play fifty six games, fifty six, fifty seven games. Um, Dylan will play very few games at all. Uh, I would have, you know, and then just I would not have expected for all this to happen. So for sure. So those two things alone, you know, and, and, and I kind of talk about how last year, you know, we had 15, 16th best offense um, and a six, seven best defense. So I was hoping that losing JV and Grayson was going to improve our defense, but all my worries were about our offense being able to help, help maybe that for really good defensively, we'll get some offense from fast break points and stuff. But, uh, but being, you know, basically what is it? Fourth, um, it depends on what you do, but like uh, basically having a, what is it? Yeah, fourth in offense, fifth in defense, at least if you breaking the glass, take out the, the garbage time stuff. Uh, I would have never expected going from 15th to fourth in offense um, and basically getting a slight improvement in defense. And the defensive thing, too, if you factor in the very start, the two, first two months of the season when you're literally ranked last. I mean, that improvement, having to come right. from that to then – Finish at fifth is insane. Yeah, I had a tweet uh, October 20th. To quote yourself. To quote myself. <laughs> I, said, I said, Grizzlies predictions. Y'all are doing great quoting yourself. Yeah. Grizzlies predictions in parentheses, barring significant injury. Uh, I mean, we had some injuries. And Dylan, I don't know how I mean how you consider that being significant. But uh, I wouldn't say it was significant as in like losing anybody for the full season. So record, 44 and 38. 
That's a result, seventh seed in the play-in. And then I had, in parentheses, make playoffs at plus 110. That must have been the odds at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season to make the playoffs. No. <laughs> plus odds to make the playoffs. And then I said, expirings, which this is more off-season, but I said, Kyle Anderson extended, Tyus Jones traded. Now that might look like it could be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, accolades, John Morant, all-star reserved, most improved player, and then Desmond Bain, top three in three-point percentage. So those are looking pretty good. Right. But I mean, forty-four and thirty-eight going—that's a twelve-win difference in prediction versus reality. And yours—I mean, you were bullish by going yeah. high forties. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, Brantley. What do you remember about your predictions? You might <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. Yourself, I can't but. quote myself because I definitely didn't write them down. <laughs> um, I mean, I hammered the over just because it was the easy thing to do in our betting pod. But I definitely. There's no way that if I'd written anything down that I would have thought we were even close to what we were accomplishing. And, you know, some of it, I do think that, I wouldn't say these were breaks, but I do think that we did benefit from the West being down. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a, unlike a lot of people, I sort of thought that maybe the Lakers would figure some stuff out. Um, that was about as wrong as one could be. And I definitely didn't think that the Jazz would slip like they did. When I was looking at the Western Conference as a whole, I sort of thought Golden State would would pick it back up, to which I think that they did. Um, and and Denver, you know, when you're looking at sort of like our who our competition was in the West, you know, not getting Jamal Murray back at all really hurt them and kept them sort of middle tier. So I think we did benefit mm-hmm. some in in that regard. However, it our our. Um, record against all top tier opponents just stayed so strong and just this is just intuitional data there just was a lot of games during the year where we weren't just playing down teams we did have some moments where we were catching teams who are resting their starters or didn't have someone out based on health and safety protocols or whatever it was but for the most part we also had those moments too I mean Dylan was last year was our second best second to third best player in the playoffs and we didn't have him at all. So, you know, teach their own, I guess you would say. Right. And improved defensively without him. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like the one thing he does bring, uh, we debate <laughs> all sorts of debates about yep. Dylan on offense and efficiency. But, uh, you know, he we do know he brings defensive intensity and usually bring brings that to the team. And we didn't have him most of the year and we actually improved defensively. So. Yeah, and looking at the standings too now, I mean, even the Blazers were a team that wasn't expected to be in like a tanking mode mm-hmm. at this point. They had Robert Covington, Norm Powell, Damian Lillard, and CJ McCollum. I mean, like they're twenty-seven and fifty-five in the year at thirteenth in the West. To, to quote myself again uh, in this, this paragraph, is great. Y'all keep quoting yeah, yourself. To quote myself, uh, the one that the uh, part of my bullish uh, why I was bullish on the Grizzlies is I said. It helps that I think the rest of the West is down. Maybe only the Blazers really improved this year. So that was wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, thanks for little, outing yourself. Yes, with that. a little wrong on that one. <laughs> that's as awesome. far as we're talking about the Blazers. Oh, so that's great, man. Yeah, I mean, a season two that was marked by. Uh, I, I just think you can look at the awards, like the end of season awards, and you see. John Morant, who's most certainly going to, I would say, Vegas thinks he's going to win the most improved player, and he is the last person that wants that award, which is just hilarious, um, judging by his Twitter and Instagram and pretty much every time he speaks about it. 
Uh, Jaron is up there. And then Taylor Jenkins, I think, is the one like that never gets much of the conversation. It's You never start with Taylor Jenkins and then work your way down to the players. It's always the other way around. And I don't know, in a weird way, I kind of think he 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 probably likes that coming from the 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 pop and and bud coaching tree um just kind of staying in the background but the the definition to me of of a good coach is is getting more than the sum of your parts in in an or in, in a team and i think you there's no better example than the other night a friday night game in the forum against the suns when just about everybody was was out and it doesn't matter like with this Grizzlies team it, it truly didn't matter who was on the and on the floor they were going to play Grizzlies basketball and look at the record without John Morant yeah in a weird way I actually was thinking about Jenkins I I know that a lot of people <clears throat> I hope a lot of people who are listening to this pod have watched the film session with Mike Schmitz and Desmond Bain that came out about a week and a half or two weeks ago and Honestly, when I was watching that film session, I thought about Jenkins and the organization more than I thought about Bain. Because obviously when you're watching the video, you're like, man, this guy has an incredible explanation and knowledge about on-court decisions that are happening in, in microseconds of moments. Watch understanding the system, what to do in different points to take advantage in an offensive scheme. And that to me is is – two things it's organizationally instilling like in our players like studying the game and learning the system to be able to take advantage in those little micro moments and it's Jenkins being able to help put those position those players in those positions to excel and go watch the video and I I have never really had a reason to think just unbelievably highly of of Jenkins, but I kind of wanted to in those moment and that moment of watching the video, I was like, I mean, obviously it's about Bain and him understanding the game too, but there's a system in place and he's excelling in it and being put in position to make some decisions that I think has to go back to Jenkins and what he's done with his team. That makes me to go back to even the collaboration probably with the front office too. I don't know how much of this was a Jenkins thing, but uh, just even like the small tweak of, of trading Grayson and just how they weren't even giving that option. Yeah. They were saying it's time for Bane. And that I would have to expect that based on all the rhetoric within the organization, like Jenkins was probably on the same page, even though people did make fun of him for loving Grayson and like starting Grayson. But at the end of the day, they saw Bane like they knew. And I think that's just a small move that made such a difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the so, small things. Yeah, we had we had two, uh, two subtractions <laughs> that, yeah. that had I think major addition. You know, yeah, uh, the addition by subtraction, but it was two people. It's JV and Grayson. Yeah, um, you know, and especially Grayson. And I'm looking, you know, spoiler alert for later, but I'm looking forward to the playoffs without the the other team targeting Grayson every single mm. day, time down the court, like mm-hmm. what the Jazz did to us last year, but. Um, but no, I think that's huge. And I, in one thing that, you know, and, and part of it is, you know, sometimes it's like, do I credit jaw or Jenkins for the culture? Because I think it's sort of this beautiful thing, both of them. But one of the things when I was thinking, when you were talking about the Bane thing, it's that we've had now, uh, jaw Zaire, like all these players leave and talk about watching film 
and then come back and have these like vast improvements. You know, it's hard to say jaw has vast improvements, but just be so much smarter, uh, make so much better decisions. I mean, honestly, even Dylan, since he's come back, he passes more. Well, and um, Trip talked about it on the Sack Low yeah. Pod. Yep. Ja, his true. first thing back coming back from injury was I watched my teammates and figured out how to set them up more. Like, that shit is special. Yeah. And Not every, all around. I mean, we know Ja is special on the court. Yeah. But, like, that culture piece yeah. is a big deal. And I love, too, because this is super minor, but when, whenever, I guess it was mostly last season, that after a game, because it was, it was, you know, Taylor's first year, it was kind of this new team that was still forming. And I remember always trying to watch as much of the, like, post-game press conference as I could stay awake for, basically. And uh, Taylor's answer to almost everything was, when they were talking X's and O's, was, i got to go back and watch the film, review that, and take a look and see what... And that was his default. And so I think that speaks to kind of how this has progressed into a cultural identity of always improving, never never ignoring a detail, um, and focusing on what's the next thing I can add. Yeah. And I do think that at some point, I'll, maybe in the off season, I'm just going to throw this out into the stratosphere, and I would love for us to just take a moment to take a step back and define the Grizzlies type that we now have. You know, the team says we're just a bunch of hoopers. They were saying that last year. They say it this year. And I think that's part of, you know, the culture of the team hooping in the NBA is also being a student of the game and learning it in a way where you're obsessed and you can take advantage in these little, you know, small, small moments is what makes like Chris Paul, you know, the best point guard potentially of all time. It's like his ability to understand sets. And I don't like Chris Paul. He's one of my woats, but he's really good at being a point guard. Chris Paul, it's all the extra stuff. His pure basketball is fun, but, man, he has a lot of extra stuff. He has a lot of extra stuff. That's right. Oh, man. Well, let's talk then. Actually, you know what? Any more preseason predictions that we can note on the podcast that are worth uh, going back and looking at? or? or... I I don't want to shortchange myself. I was going to say, I don't want to shortchange anything because you probably will bring something new that we might not have talked about Well, I think for me, just the funny part is these predictions that I made – in several different places and then just them and just getting accused of homerism. Yeah. You know, from everybody getting killed. You're just for being them. a visionary. And like, you know, and uh if I'd gotten on, you know, the pot earlier, I mean, I would have talked in a way optimistically. I mean, I I'm so optimistic. I mean, everybody makes fun of me how optimistic I am of like this is I think Grizzly's gonna be the team of this decade. I go crazy. But the fact is I was super homer and we just blew all of my expectations <laughs> out the water. We're the second best team in the NBA. And it's it's really crazy to to think about it, to take it all in. And and just the amount of, you know, like what y'all read and just how we is just pretty crazy. I don't know if I've ever had my expectations just surpassed like that when they were high already. Right. Um, and I just think that's that's really cool. It speaks to just how this year was and you know, I'm 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 really wanting to enjoy before we get in the playoffs next, you know, coming up, just really enjoy how great the regular season was. Yeah, and I'm gonna okay. I'm I'm skipping ahead 
But I'm going to spoil one of my questions because I think it really is a good segue into what we're about to talk about. You're allowed. We'll allow it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my very first question uh, actually is what will be considered a disappointment versus a successful season at this point? Because I think that going into the year, we had an expect. To me, I think all I, I was like basically saying. I would love to get a little bit further than we did last year. Whether that is taking a really quali- like a good team to seven games or even potentially upsetting someone to get to the second round because at that point in my head, I'm thinking we're going to be a lower seed regardless. But now, I think you, you've kind of moved the goalposts, or at least most people have, and yet there's still a sense in which, you know, this season has already surpassed the expectations, but to me, I, I put it on this list of like questions that can only be answered by the playoffs because I think, personally, my answer to that would be like I have to see them to then decide whether it was successful or not because I think we're that good, and this is such an opportunity where Phoenix might not be this mm. Warriors-level team. Oh, Preach. They might not be that. They're good. They're gr- they're really really good, but how open are these playoffs? Therefore, I cannot I cannot de- I cannot say that if we get bounced in the first rounds it was a su- successful season because I believe in the Grizzlies that much and I believe in the rest of the NBA that little. So, I guess with that question, what would y'all respond just knee jerk? Well, I mean, so yeah, so with that I say, you know, I I guess I'm somebody who gets really frustrated uh, with all of my sort of casual NBA fan fan friends who say, you know, oh, it's just the regular season. And I've been getting a lot of that because they're annoyed with my gloating about how good they've been this regular season. And and so and so I get frustrated with that because like one of the things I was sending all of them today was like how good like being a top five offensive and defensive efficiency team is basically like contender should be a finals favorite. There happens to be one other team like that, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, every like all the stats, the way the season's gone, everything tells me like we should be one of the we're like one of three or four teams that should win the title. Like and that that's what it says. And so at the same time, uh everything in me says like we haven't been there and there is, you cannot find a team that does not suffer some sort of heartbreak or playoff scars before winning the title. And those are like the two warring things in me is on one hand, like this team, it's not, it's not a fluke. We're the second best team in the NBA, my opinion. Um, Only the Suns, like I don't feel good. Like, and even then, I f- we can talk about it later. I feel yeah. a little good about the Suns too. Yeah. Like, but to me, it's like us, the Suns, the Bucks, maybe the Celtics if they get uh, Williams back. But like, we sh- we're that good. But man, no team this young, no team with this lack of less experience, few you know, little experience, and no, and no real playoff scars. Though you could say losing that weird bubble game and losing to the Jazz last year were some scars. But no team does this. And so th- those are the two warring things. So I don't know. And so with that said, I think I would I would be severely disappointed with the first round exit. 
Um, I think I would be severely disappointed with a loss in the second round that was not close, like long six, seven games, um, mm. especially depending on the health. Because mm-hmm. I think we're better than the Nuggets and the Warriors. Um, I mean, I think we're. I might think we're better than the Warriors if they're healthy. Um, and um, you know, I mean, and and so I just think. I mean, that's the way I feel like we are the 2014-15 Warriors. It took them losing to the Spurs in 14 to get to where they were in 15. You know, and so I don't know if that's where we're going to be. But uh, but I think we're that kind of juggernaut. And in a normal year, it is normal to have a team like the Spurs were in 14. That's the difference. It's like it depends on how you view, to me, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, like, are right. they one of those teams? <laughs> if so, great. If you make the conference finals and lose, I mean that's a great season regardless. But like you can rationalize. But yeah, I'm. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I'll. I'm. I'm gonna be disappointed if we don't make the Western Conference Finals. Just straight up, I think this team has demanded us to expect that of them. They so want that, us. So to. I am gonna expect that of them. I think that they want all the smoke. I think that they are gonna talk all of it on the court to Steph Curry and Towns or George and Kawhi. I don't, I don't care. And I don't think that they do either. So like, was that, is that so much larger than what my preseason expectations were? Yes. And this team made me reset my expectations. And so I have big expectations for this team because I'm like, I'm like you craft. I think that we're, top two, three best teams in the NBA right now. I'm not scared of anybody. I want these – I think that these guys can roll. And I'm definitely not scared of the Warriors, period. Like, bring them on. Like, I mean, no I'm doubt. sitting here thinking, yeah, no doubt. are we – Are we like, the 9 the, the let me say it this way. We don't have the big three like the Thunder did, but, like – the Thunder lost in 0-9-0-10 in the first round and then went to the Western Conference Finals this next year, and then the year after that they lost in the finals. I'm like, are we a year ahead of schedule and we're going to the finals this year and next year we have a finals chance? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about like one little minor injury to Chris Paul to where we're the favorite. And you look at that Thunder team, like it's shocking they lost the, the Mavs. I mean, that 2000 Mavs team was a weird team. I mean, the Thunder were obviously the better team and the and a coaching all inexperienced i mean that is what we're that that's the exact kind of thing that my anxiety about the grizzlies that's the exact kind of thing is being out coached lack of experience that's who would out coach us well i mean that that might get to some later questions about about what we're about how about jenkins oh okay as okay. a playoff coach well, but, but uh what's that a I'm disappointment to, to you will but, you be upset if we lose will if, will you be upset if we lose second round to the Warriors? Disappointed? I think what my thought was when putting this question down is that we sh- Okay, so if you took this... If you, you basically told us where we were right now, but you told us in October where we'd be, at the end of the season, you're going to have 56 wins and you're going to be a two seed. Without knowing what we know about the way this team played and the way that it had been built and the confidence that they're at right now, then I would be like, that's an amazing season. We can build off of that in future years. 
So that with can that still mind, be true, though. It can, but that's why to me it's almost as if like getting into the playoffs are the only way to actually answer that question because it's like seeing it how it is now, tr- how it translates to the playoffs. That's going to be the only way. Like if we have a, if Kawhi Leonard were to come back and we have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing us and we go to seven and it's this insane battle, and we lose in seven, then there could be a chance that I'm sitting here saying, like, well, that was really bad luck because this team was awesome, but, man, I'm glad of the way they pushed. And that would still technically be a first-round exit. And I don't think that's going to happen. So to answer your question, yes, I'll be so disappointed if, yeah. we, if we don't make it at least to a very competitive second-round series. Let me Let me – you decide if you want to answer this question later or not, because this is not one of my questions. But I think this question demands a follow-up, which is, do you think the players will be disappointed if we don't make it to the Western Conference Finals? And will that start to breed a, hey, we did all of this for the two seed. We need a little bit more to get over the hump. That, that with a young team, will start. I think could start to think right. that. And it's a valid question for guys like Ja – I'm just going to leave it at jaw to begin maybe wondering what does it take to get over this hump? If you have a thought, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I think it comes back to is the way that the team beats us exposing a weakness about ourselves that we didn't know existed until we were in that situation. Because if it is, if it's, let's say they run a, um, Basically, they they bottle up Jaw, and he's trying. He swings it around, and Bain and Melton can't hit shots. Jaron can't hit shots, and it's one of those things where Jaw starts to get frustrated. Then that to me is like definitely a. I need somebody that I can maybe rely on, even though I love these guys. We might need a little bit of help, but if it's I don't know. That's that would be my only caveat. Yeah. I mean, I think that's um, because, like, to your point. I mean, and I, it's still kind of wowing me. Like, if we make the NBA Finals, Game One is in Memphis. <laughs> like, I mean, that's you know, I mean, that is we yeah. are not just the two seed in the West. We are the second best team, record wise. And so, I mean, and I think we need to start thinking like that a little bit. But again, the youth. exactly. But but so to me, honestly, the biggest disappointment I think would be. An earlier exit, you know, without without a, a very clear sense of this is our weakness. We need to improve this. Like that sort. Like like not to say like I'll still be upset, but like that is kind of the the one silver lining of hope. If we go out um, earlier than I would want, which might just what honestly might be not going to be a title, but you know, is that we get a clear sort of feedback of roster issue uh what or team development issue yeah. or you know well, because or, you trust or coaching the front office. issue yeah. yeah like that that's like kind of that's the silver lining the luxury we have of being so young and having you know number one the future rankings in espn uh with all the flexibility and everything is we actually might be able to stupid lakers kept it from being even better but uh we might be able to improve and so that's what i would hope is if we have to deal with disappointment this year, that we at least get some very clear um, answers to questions we have about what the team needs to win a title. Can I make a quick analogy here? Bring it. So in 2013, Ole Miss won the SEC championship in basketball. 
It's like the one highlight in Ole Miss basketball history. Is that a Marshall <laughs> Henderson year? Marshall Henderson won. They were in, went to the tournament as a 12 seed. By the way, I'm not a big Ole Miss basketball fan. I sure, just sure, remember sure. this because they beat Wisconsin in the first round in the 12-5. It just so happened that just about every top seed above them also lost above the 5 seed. So it's like literally Ole Miss could be the number one team. And they're playing the 13-ranked LaSalle. LaSalle comes down, hits a shot in the last second to beat Ole Miss. Before the tournament, you're like, if Ole Miss can upset, like, you're just happy with that. Like, they won a game in the tournament. We weren't supposed to be here. But since everything shook out differently, you're almost like they have a path to the Final Four now, and they just blew it to a team that they shouldn't have. To me, I look at this year just like that, where I don't know how open it's ever going to be, like, after this year. And I do think we have the tools to get there because next year Denver's going to have their guys back. You got to think the Clippers are going to have their guys back. Who knows what the Lakers are going to pull? I don't know what they're going to pull out to to potentially have their guys back. I just think it's going to be loaded next year, and I'm nervous about that. And we might be just as good next year, but everybody else is better. So I think this is the year. Right. No, I think there's street there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I think that there is a lot to over the next like five years. We may have another window. Mm -hmm. We hope. Right. And. It's crazy to say it, but this is actually a window. It is. No. Like, when Kraft, when you were talking about sort of your disappointment stuff, I was thinking, like, with the grit and grind, when we made the Western Conference Finals, we were like, you know what? This was freaking awesome. That's probably the best we're ever going to get. I don't think that with this team. I think we're going to have at least two to three more years of it like this year. It may not be next year. I don't know, because that's just the way an NBA season breaks. But I think that to expect us as fans – like, not to, like, have anxiety over it, but to be like, this team is really freaking good, and we've got talent, and we can do something with it, that's fun. No, and I think, and, and honestly, we get, we have depth we might not have later on um, with having to pay people, and, um, and I mean, and again, we're getting the questions about stuff, but, I mean, one of the things is, I actually think l- the longer we go, our depth will actually be helpful especially against teams like the Suns that basically play six, seven guys and have a lot of guys with histories of getting injured in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, and same thing with the Warriors. And so look forward to that. But, I mean, but as you were saying, I mean, I think, like, weirdly, I like, I look and I think, I think the 2013, the 2015, honestly, I think the 2015 team might have been our best team. And, unfortunately, the 2015 Warriors were there. And 2011 was probably... You know, that first year, you know, Harden doesn't hit that step back three because, you know, Vasquez. R.I.P. Grievous. <laughs> R.I.P. Grievous so, Vasquez. Uh, you know, that doesn't happen. Um, Lionel makes some a little, some different coaching moves, uh, et cetera. I mean, we could have found ourselves playing a Mavs team that we, that we just had them that matched season. Up so well we matched up so well with that Mavs team. You know, and then of course who knows, maybe the Heat do the same weird thing because again, it was their first year and they did playoff scars. Uh but uh but who knows? And that was one of those and you know, I love the next 5 years, but we that was probably our best chance window-wise. And so sometimes I do worry about that. I do feel more confident that we're going to have three or four more years somewhere of real contention, but like you said, it is open this year. Totally. All right, so to me, that this conversation sort of makes this next topic less impactful 
But out of the Clippers and Wolves, if you could pick one, we should be heavily favored in both series. But if you could pick one to play, who are you? Who do you want to play and why? That's the question on Memphians' minds in the next 48 hours. Like, who do you want to play? Or 24, if you're listening to this tomorrow. I thought about this a lot today. I've gone back and forth so many times. And I, I think I'm just going to give you, like, a settled, like, non-answer. I really don't care. I think that both teams have strengths about them. I think we're better than both. If we lose, it's because we all of a sudden have performed not like we have the entire year, which would be exceptionally weird. And we've, I think, to Kraft's point, we would have learned a lot about some players that will have to make some pretty drastic changes. But I think we're better than both teams. I think the 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 just the nostalgia of whooping that clip in the first round and just like punting LA out of here would be so much more fun. That's why I want I want to beat LA before I want to beat Minnesota. What do you think, Kraft? So um, I kind of just give pros and cons, and I don't know. It's funny. I think I've leaned towards LA, but for me with Minnesota. Um, you know, Minnesota has been the better team than the Clippers. The record's better, better in efficiency. Um, that would be more fun because they're much more offensive. It would be a super fast-paced game. Uh, there'd be some really exciting games if we play Minnesota. You know, for me, the pros of playing Minnesota is they don't have the experience. I think our coaching and culture is way better than theirs. Uh, I just think we're better. <laughs> I think we're more physical. Like, I think, I think they're one of the few teams where I'm like – the way we play is better for the playoffs than the way they play is, is for the playoffs. Um, my worry, I mean, my worries about Minnesota are really just Pat Beverly and, and, uh, Chris Harrington always says shenanigans. And that's, I just, you know, just on a pure, I just don't want to deal with Pat Bev, um, for multiple games in a row. I think he's going to do things and hurt. Like, I just think we're going to walk away and he's going to have hurt one of our players. Maybe not majorly, but just in a way that's annoying. Uh, I do fear they have three players who can score a lot of points. And that makes me a little nervous. Like Edwards is a guy who at times against us has just gone for a lot of points and we just can't kind of stop him. You know, of course now most of those games were without Dylan. So, uh, so that's one big deal. Um, he can, um, I think they sort of can handle the, our two bigs, whether it be the Clark Jaron, like they're kind of with Jaron Vanderbilt, they, they kind of have a weird way of handling us. Um, and I actually think that and the, and the one big con for me is they will actually have a big home court advantage. Their crowd will be awesome. So that, so that makes me nervous about Minnesota. So I think in my sense, as long as Kawhi doesn't come back and even then I just think there's no way he can come back and be good, but who knows? Kawhi's a robot. Uh, the reason I think I might prefer the Clippers is that I think we're also better than them. I think the part of it is just they're going to have a bad home crowd. Uh, I actually kind of like that we'll get a ton of media buzz because all the L.A. media, all the national media will be at those games. Um, I think that, honestly, their small ball does, doesn't bother us. Literally, it'll make us play <laughs> Jaron Clark lineups that I actually love. And, uh, but the con is the one worry is Ty Lue's a really good playoff coach. And that's the one thing that like that we know he's a good playoff coach with adjustments. I think that's still, and, and, and I'm going to talk about this soon, I hope, but, uh, that's still a little bit of a wonder with Jenkins, although I, I'm very optimistic about it. Um, they have experience, uh, weirdly the Clippers, 
um, which you mentioned. But the Clippers have a lot of Grizz killers. Um, unfortunately, they traded for one of them in the midseason um, with Powell. Um, but, you know, and, and uh, Jax, they just have a lot of people who seem to like weirdly do really well against the Grizzlies. And so that makes me a little nervous. But I think I'm, I'm with Brantley here that I, I think I, I would rather have the Clippers because I do feel like we won't have we won't be playing any road games. I think, in fact, there might be more as many Grizz fans at Clippers games um, as Clippers fans. I'm with you. I think the more I thought it, so initially my knee jerk, of course, was to say Wolves. Duh. They haven't been here. They're unproven. Uh, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is a particularly intimidating best player, even though he plays. I mean, he puts up stats. The Clippers have this sleeping giant. Potentially Paul George returning is interesting. Uh, he's looked okay. Kawhi is just this, like, mystery and I agree with you at this point in time if we have been getting reports that Kawhi is playing like five on five in practice I'm nervous but we haven't gotten that we haven't gotten anything with Kawhi which is normal but uh then I started thinking more and more about it the Pat Bev thing I mean I just can see I can see it in my head just him undercutting Ja on some just BS play or you know, even running into somebody like Bane, who's diving for, I don't know. I just, like you said, like, I just don't want to even have that in my mind. And then I am, I am cognizant of that. I mean, we saw, and I'm pretty sure it was our worst loss of the season at Minnesota. And just how, when three of their guys are hitting shots, the home crowd is great. They've been starved for a playoff run. And it reminds me of like almost like a grit and grind era Grizzlies, which we were just, the city was so ready for the team to be good. Um, And yeah, I just think that no matter what, this Clippers team doesn't have an expectation. They're okay with however this year ends because it was a lost year to begin with. And so in that, in that sense, I think I'm going to go LA. Uh, And I did not expect to be saying that like 24 hours ago, but as I actually dove in, I was like, yeah. I'd be shocked if we're not playing Minnesota, though. They're the best, and in the I look mm-hmm. too in the last twenty games. I mean, they're one. They're like a top, top, however many team, yeah. like top third at least. Yeah, they're NBA. seventh in offensive efficiency and thirteen in defense. Yeah, so that's like I mean, top fifteen. I mean, that's you know, whereas the Clippers are twenty fourth offensively. Yes, they're really good defensively. They're top ten defensively, but they are not a good offensive team. Um. The, in the last 20 games, Timberwolves are number one in the NBA in offense by over three points. So that's very significant. Uh, like you said, they have three guys that can get hot. So, all right. Well, uh, cheer for the Clippers on Tuesday. I I'm, I'm shocked the, all three of us agree on that. Me too. I really was <laughs> thinking I was going against the grain by saying the Clippers, but I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're all thinking on the same page here. All right. So let's get to our questions. We've alluded to them a little bit. Um, Kraft is the guest. I'm going to let you start so what is your your and the, the premise of this by the way is what are questions that the three of us have that theoretically only could be answered by you know playing the playoffs and seeing what happens to answer these questions so that's the premise mm-hmm. so go uh, I, i'm trying to think of which one i want to start with i think i mean honestly i think this is the biggest thing for me because i feel like it's what uh i'm hearing from my friends it's what i'm seeing in the media which is you know, is Taylor Jenkins 
a good playoff coach. You know, another way of saying that is, does the system translate to playoff success? And and that you know, and if and that comes from, uh, he is he is you know the coaches that he were under that he was under, you know Popovich, and um, you know that that they both you know the Bucks coach. Why am I? I'm like, Budenholzer. Budenholzer, Coach Bud. So Coach Bud and Coach Pop, who both you know are amazing coaches. But the biggest thing is they are amazing regular season coaches. And both both of them have always been coaches that that basically whatever their win total was, they got over it. System plug in players, they seem to always win. Um but, you know, and, and Pop has never really had people question his playoff success, but he has definitely lost some series that people look back and think you should not have lost those series. Um, and, and coach Bud, obviously until last year, I mean, he would have been fired last year. He was title or bust. And so there is that part of Jenkins plays 10 players, you know, are they going to build a wall against jaw in the playoffs? So that's, that to me is like five games with the jazz. I don't know if it really showed us enough. Um, I, it was promising to me and we can talk about that maybe, but that's my biggest question is, do we know Taylor Jenkins? We know that his system works for the regular season. We know that he can outperform our win total and our expectations. He's a great culture creator. I mean, everything you could want. But is he? You know, is he the guy that can, you know, uh, adjust in a playoff series? So let me ask you this. So let's say we're facing the Wolves in the first round of the playoffs. We'll say coaching advantage, sort of equal, in this scenario. Yeah, Finch is not bad. What What are the things that you would see from Jenkins that would make you feel like, yeah, we got past the first round. He did enough to put us in a spot to win the series. What are some things that would help you to answer that question? I mean, I think for me, it's who does he who does he choose in his shortened rotation? Because I just looked it up. The Grizzlies were the number one in the in the NBA in bench minutes per game, and sixth in bench points. So I mean, like that translated to points. But I mean, as we've seen, you have to make a choice at some level. And I think like the 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 debate about you know Kyle Anderson, Zaire Williams minutes there. Like, who do you choose, if any? Uh, who's the first big off the bench? You know, usually probably going to be Brandon. Who's the first guard off the bench? You know, probably going to be Melton, but we'll see. Uh, like, how is he going to decide how to sprinkle these bench minutes? Because I don't. I think you have two of the guy, two guys with like some of the highest foul rates historically ever in Jaron and Dylan, and he's going to have to react. Like, I don't think it's reasonable to expect both of them to be available for as much as he would want them to be. And so how does he react to that? Um, and that is, to me, going to be like the number one thing. So like, basically, is, does he shorten the rotation and, and choose things that work? Or like, is he willing, when is he willing to draw the line on, let's say, a Belton, who plays great in the regular season, but he hasn't shown it yet in the playoffs, is he going to stick to the mm-hmm. script, which he's been known to do, through thick and thin, or does he say, all right, screw it, it's time to make a change, and then what is that change? 
So that's to me is like a really interesting thing because a coach who really trusts the system tends to stick with things because, you know, they have a lot of things like data telling them like consistency, like, you know, uh, a rapport that -hmm. will basically lead them to that decision. But how far do you take it? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's because last year I think he, uh, favored Grayson because I think Grayson did what he was asked and was like in the right positions, but Grayson was worse than other people on our bench that should have, that could have been playing. He trusted more like, and that's the kind of stuff that I want to see. Like, is he going to stick with Melton when Melton makes a few mistakes, uh, which Melton does, he's a high risk reward player. Um, you know, is, and, and, and for me, one of the, the, to answer your question, the biggest thing for me is, do I feel like games five, six, seven, we, we have improved from game one. Like, are we making, are we making the adjustments that they're having to deal with and are, and are we getting better or am I seeing the momentum going the other way as the season progresses? Because I mean, like one of the things for me and why this question is so pertinent is like, I mean, what, what teams besides maybe the Suns do you think out talent us? Like what, like it, like what teams do you expect we're going to meet and it's going to be like our roster's not good enough, mm. or do you think it's going to be more experience coaching and that? And I think that's, I mean, so that gets into the bigger questions, but that's for me, it's like, are we going to look back and think, we lost to a team with less talent because that, and if we lose in the first round, that is going to be the case. Yeah, like right. we lost a to Golden a Golden State team. team you can make an argument ha- is equivalent-ish, yeah. ish, yes. a healthy Golden State right. team. I'm not even talking about like super healthy or like play. a series where you feel like you don't have the best player in the series. Those are the mm-hmm. times where you can right. make that argument, which right. there's not many. No, Charles, that good. Yep. So, but I, I, I'm sort of with you. I think I think if you don't make it past the first round, this is a big indictment on Jenkins and his yeah. and bringing into like just question the system thing. Which look, don't get me wrong. As the as a small franchise, you know, small market franchise pre jaw I would have said doing what we did this year and having like a good crack mm-hmm. at like an incredible season, like two out of six times, mm-hmm. is awesome. But that's before you have a superstar right. talent on your team. Right. It changes the game. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and I think for me, my worry, uh, just because like, again, I'm going to want to have Jenkins for a while before I get the piece. I mean, it even took coach about a while. It took him a stop in Atlanta and, you know, Milwaukee and, and a lot of playoff defeats to get over the hump there. And to really last year was the first year he really changed some stuff up. But for me, it's just, if we go out early, we could be the one seed next year in the West and all we will hear is it's a system, it's regular season. We're going to be like the Jazz. And not even a system. Maybe it's even like just this way. It's like the Jazz maybe is a better comparison, but it's like you don't want the next Scott Brooks during this window of time who had this Thunder team that had the chance to to really roll and he couldn't get over the hump. Right. And they kept him because the players loved him. He created a fun culture. But, yeah. It's so. great. It's a great question. Brantley, what was one of yours? So this is related, and I'm just going to ask it, or I'll just sort of 
Uh, maybe I'll maybe I won't ask it. I'm just, should we should we answer our own questions? I guess that let me I think ask, ask the question, the but then has. you can start with your answer. Okay, so what players are long term pieces versus values that we need to take advantage of moving into the off season? I have a one A and a one B of things that we'll have to watch. If you listen to this podcast, it's not going to be a surprise. I have a one sort of moderate one, and then I have one that I definitely am not even paying attention to. We have to resign him. Or re- I can guess can, the second one. Yeah. Go for it. So my 1A is Melton. It's fairly obvious, but the dude is on a tear right now. Like, amazing. And if he all of a sudden just, like, falls off a cliff in the playoffs, I think we're going to really know. And I'm with the Jenkins thing. I hope he doesn't give him a, a long leash. I think the 1B is, DB, is Dylan. Like, was his playoff Dylan a real thing last year? Or is he going to sort of, like, be hero ball or not i still think we have to confirm that it just feels like fake news that that really happened but if he kind of if dylan moves into like playoff dylan then like i'm gonna like move i'm just we'll state it here i'm moving off of my like hate dylan thing he can do whatever he wants in the regular season because he's such an asset in the playoffs and he just understands his role um i think we'll really learn a lot about bc and like this the juxtaposition between like how terrible he was last year with, you know, his injuries or just his role sort of malpractice, I guess you would say, um, versus this year where it was more defined and set. And I don't care if Tyus plays zero minutes in the playoffs. I want him on our team next year. His role in the regular season is so valuable to set us up to be in this position. It's not even a question. That was one of mine was Tyus Jones because – I think it depends to me on, like, I'm very intrigued the number of minutes that he and Ja will play together. Like, where does he slot into a potential second guard role where Jenkins is favoring him and getting him minutes above, say, like a Melton, like a backup two? Yeah, Um, absolutely. Because, and I think I'm, I'm, like, almost to where you are with Tyus, not quite. To me, it still sort of depends on the number next year. But I do think in terms of Ja being the best player on the team, but also being as fragile as he is potentially, mm-hmm. which is what makes him great, you kind of need a guy who's going to be yep. able to steer the ship. Well. And is that worth in an 82-game season, having that at your disposal, even if it means you're taking away from money that you could put towards maybe a guy who's more of a high ceiling in the playoffs guy. Because Tyus is absolutely a bring-your-floor-up-to-here guy. He is not a take-your-ceiling-up-to-here guy. But for this team, what's right? And that's what I think the playoffs are going to answer this year. Yeah, Tyus is a a we-get-game-sevens-at-home guy. Yes. I mean, that's really, I mean, honestly, that is, we get game sevens at home. We can be very uh, patient with jaw, uh, like Nick's anything. Hey, sit a game. We'll be fine. We have Tyus. Um, like, I really do think that's, and that is the question is how, how much is that worth? Um, and sad, you know, and again, I'm still upset with the Lakers. I, I hate the Lakers so much. And even <laughs> in a year when I should be able to enjoy it, they, they screwed me. But uh, by losing that pick, because yeah, I exactly. do think that that is, you You're know, so because right. that's 
getting good draft picks is how we can make up if we have to pay Tyus more than we want. But but I agree with that. But yeah, I think the that's huge. The Melton Dillon, you know, is because with with I think Bain pretty much solidifying himself in the future and the contract what we have him are on, you know, Melton is basically like, can he be a great sixth man? He's he just size wise, we can never have him as our third guard. Um and so yeah, it is Dylan Melton figuring out what that looks like. Um you know, and uh, will Dylan pass it? I mean, and I don't know. The Pelicans are so bad on defense, but one of the things that was just very apparent watching Jaw um, in the Pelicans game was just how with him and Bain now and Jaron having to be just uh, respected. Like, Dylan... It's like the Pelicans definitely said, Dylan, you're going to shoot a lot of shots. We're giving, letting you be wide open. And it's just going to be very interesting to see what he does with that and when he passes, when he drives. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see the Dylan, the Dylan issue and then the Brandon Clark issue, you know, and kind of that, uh, just how those things work, you know. And if Brandon, um, especially if Jaron gets in foul trouble, if we can't have Jaron on the floor, is Brandon just – uh, unplayable in the playoffs because that's the big issue was his bad year was when we didn't have Jaron. Mm-hmm. And so like if Jaron gets in foul trouble, you know, does that mean we have to play Kyle? Um, or we, can we play Brandon and Brandon do enough, but that's, I mean, so I think those are huge questions for that's, all those things. To me, that is a need that will be exposed potentially is we need another big who can shoot. That is one thing we do not have. And I could see that coming to bear if Jaron does get in foul trouble. It'll be no. interesting to see. Um, okay, so Mike, we've gone through two of my questions because my other one was about Tyus. First one was the one that I previewed earlier. The last one was, is Jaw an exception to the rule? Which means you haven't seen a, a team led by a small point guard besides Stephen Curry, like take their team to the finals. And even then, Steph had a skill that nobody has ever had. Can Ja be a number one on a finals winning team? And that is not something you can answer until you're there. And so that's a big question. What's the stat? Like he's the first point guard to lead the league in paint scoring since when? Like something like, I don't know the sense, but it's it's substantial. Yeah, I mean, I think that really is the question about him. Like, does the points in the paint thing translate into a playoff environment when the game slows down? Which I, I sort of think that it can, if he's surrounded by enough players that are supporting him. That's just, but I think it's. I mean, it's a great question because you're basically saying don't don't hear me say what I'm saying. Because this is sort of related to one of my questions. It's like if you're thinking about Ja and how he compares to other elite talent that led teams to finals, because that's now he is in that category, pop culture, future NBA, like national media talking about him, national media coming him coming here to Memphis, like all that stuff. Like that's about I mean, they love Memphis, but it's about Ja. So, is he like Steph? Is our team like this up-and-coming Golden State Warriors young team 
maybe Taylor Jenkins is our Mark Jackson. Do we need, you know, like those types of things. And Steph and Ja does have this elite talent that no point guard's ever had where his ability to score in the paint is like AI in this crazy way before AI developed a jumper type thing. Like that's kind of like the thing that we're sort of trying to figure out. And the jaw question to me, like immediately translate to like what elite, what historical franchise team, like trajectory are we more like? Because like, I keep going back and forth. Like, are we kind of like, Oh nine ten OKC or we kind of like up and coming Golden State where we have these like little inklings of things or are we kind of just like Boston a couple of years back where they make it pretty far and then flounder for a bit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like those three options are kind of what I'm sort of wondering that about learning and it's all to me it's just like all tied to job. I like answer your question with the question. What do you think, Graf? Yeah, I mean that's. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because, like, there is, like, jaw. Uh, I mean, this seems very heretical to say it, but, I mean, jaw reminds me, and this is, I'm aging myself here, of, like, a late 80s MJ, too, though, in that MJ, it was, he attacked the paint. Um, like, even The Last Dance, there's that great montage, I'm trying to remember the song, of just him t- attacking the paint in the late 80s and doing all the weird kind of stopping but weird layups over the head that jaw does um you know and because and i just remember how with them and the pistons and all these teams just backed off him and made him shoot jumpers then of course jordan developed the jumper was fine i mean he was always an amazing score what you know he were he came into the nba with a better jumper than jaw did but uh but i think it is that interesting thing and the weird dynamic is yeah is jaw that guy you know, and then and then you have the weird Chris Paul angle of or is he maybe the guy who makes the play? And I think about, you know, that we have the Suns game winner. Um, I mean, tons of game winners in the years past, but this year, like that Suns game winner. But then we also had the Clippers, the Jazz, all these games where he drove into the paint and then threw it out to Jaron for threes and Jaron hit threes. And so is that how he kind of is it like just the playmaker and not just the like clutch score, um, you know that that is. But it's it is weird because I think the more you think about it, we don't have a perfect. Uh, there's no perfect. Analogy. There's no perfect yeah. analogy. Which he could, like I said, he could be the exception. Because like, like you could. look at the you could look at the Warriors, but obviously for Jaw it's paint scoring, not three point shooting. But like then Jaron is way you know is is in some ways better offensively than than Draymond is. But then Draymond's a better playmaker than Jaron is and then but Bane and the clay thing kind of work so I don't know but that is Kyle is our shot is our Sean uh was was Sean Anderson no Sean, Sean Livingston, Sean Livingston yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> like the weird tall yes, guy yeah. really sure where he uh, he's more Iggy yeah or Kyle Dylan, is Iggy? Dylan 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 Still is more like but, but I also think you know but one thing that with jaw that you know has been shown is the defensive part of jaw too is like jaw gonna bring the defense yeah um, or is it going to be a Trey Young thing where like you can't hide them enough, and no matter how good of all the uh, you know no, no matter how good defensively all the rest of the players are, that defensive ang- that defensive part is going to always hurt us too. So that's another thing. Just not only you know, but but that is the biggest thing. I mean, is he is he the job before he got injured that everybody said was going to be first team All NBA, you know, yeah. uh, or not? Is he right. really that? Is he really one of the top four or five players in the league? 
I think he is. So I think he could be. We'll see what happens. All right, we got time for a couple more. So we'll right. go craft and then Brantley. Do it, craft. Um, so one one of the oh man now. But one of the things that I was interested in is what is going to be um, sort of our go-to closing five when we have to win a game. Mm. Um, and kind of so sort of the in, you know, in other words, do we have like a death lineup? <laughs> and is it that Jaron Clark, Dylan, Bain, Jaw, maybe Melton in there if somebody's in foul trouble? Um, like what is, uh, because, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think, oh, we're so good. We're going to, but like, there's going to be a time, hopefully not in the first round, maybe in the second round, maybe not even until the third round. Uh, I'm being very optimistic there that we're going to have to go to a, we have to win this game lineup. We're going to play this lineup for the last six, seven minutes of the game, no matter what. And it's going to be, what is that lineup? And so, and, and it might be that because of just, you know, if we're playing the Nuggets, we have to put Adams out there. I don't know. But kind of, are we going to cement what is our best five? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, we've never, you know, that's throughout this season, it's been more of a matchup. Uh, Jenkins likes to talk about feel. But like, are we going to come out of these playoffs with like, this is our five? You know, and it's not going to be a lineup we use all throughout the season because maybe we don't want to put Jaron at five that much. Um, but like, what's our go-to lineup when, when we just have to put the best five out there? That's a great question. I think we probably don't have one right now that could class classify in that lineup of death category, but I do think it's a combination of a Clark Kyle offense defense to me, because there's no one I trust more number one on defense and then taking out the ball, inbounding the ball, Kyle Anderson. But other than that, I want a guy like Clark, who's on the offensive end, you know, running around the middle, letting Jaron row on the outside. So that, to me, is like a problem because it's a hybrid. Like, mm-hmm. you have to have two guys to fill one spot for it to be perfect. So you need that, you need that spot to be upgraded. It's an interesting question, though. Yeah. I mean, I, part of it is I'm thinking, because I don't want to hear from Brantley, but part of it is I'm thinking like that, that Nets game, and we didn't have Jaw, we had Tyus, but but basically we played Clark ja- Jaron the entire fourth quarter, and the other and the Nets only scored sixteen points after scoring like forty something points in the third. Yeah, but we and that switching the, their ability to switch and the Clark and Jaron being able to stick with guards and honestly Kyle can do the same thing. He just doesn't have maybe the athleticism, but yeah, it just it's interesting to see what that's going to be like in the playoffs. I don't know. Yeah, I think the the trip and BC combo we're sort of just all eager to really see like what can that really do for us in some like playoff style matchups. We just haven't been able to really see it yet where they're both healthy and playing their best basketball. So I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by that. I didn't have that question down, but I think it's a great just consideration. Cause I think that those are sort of the to will to your point, like that's kind of the, where, where we could switch out with Kyle versus BC or not. Um, I, and, and some of it is even just like, Assuming that we can get there, like can Jaron and Dylan not be in foul trouble to where we're not having to figure out is it is it Melton or Zaire? Like and that's kind of like this other lingering thing, like how much I didn't write this down, but like how much do they really trust Zaire to like fill in for Dylan if Melton is struggling? Like 
we're we're gonna learn something and maybe i should if i could like amend my question it's yeah. almost like previously yeah. it's like do we like who's getting that spot versus melton or zaire like yeah. you're gonna learn what the front office thinks a lot about zaire and these the long term they think like are they gonna like we're gonna give him his looks in the playoffs he's gonna get some reps <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm sure. There's th- this front office has shown us that they're willing to invest in the future in moments like this, mm-hmm. regardless of if they like also think that they're going to get, you know, have some long term trajectory there. So I, I don't know. That's going to stress me out. I already know <laughs> that's going to stress me. You, out. You want to see? You want to see Zaire develop in summer league? But guarding guarding like you know in the second <laughs> unit, Zaire's second unit. I know. Like guarding, like that's is awesome. I, I think I, I won't mind first half Zaire. I'm going to be a little nervous about second half Zaire. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. I okay. Can I let me let me let me let's have more of a positive. I mean, and honestly, question. my question with the death lineup, I think, really hits your question about the rotation stuff because I think yeah. that the end of the day, that's like those questions because I think ultimately that's going to that's going to determine do we need more do we need to upgrade the roster in certain ways because we should like I just seems like every best. Yeah. Every title winning team has a best five. They know what it is. That's right. At the end. So that's why I asked that question. Yeah. I think it's going to be, sorry, Brantley. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting too, to see, because I'm, I was going through the matchups in my head on Dylan's. I'm interested to see too Dylan's versatility because most of who he's, like he guarded. I'm pretty sure it was Donovan Mitchell in the jazz series last year. Mostly right. in this Clipper series though, or wolves, I could see him guarding a, a bigger like three uh, with Paul George, Anthony Edwards, but like as you progress, what is his defensive versatility going to look like? Can he go down to four or up to two, and how does that translate? So anyway, go ahead. How big of a star do we have in Desmond Bain? So last playoffs, his rookie season against the you know best team in the west at the time it was so evident that we had something like the contrast of bain versus melton and grayson was so stark that it was like like now seeing like what they did with them and g league uh, or summer league and giving him more options and seeing his rise like i'm not saying that we should have expected it but like he showed us that he had it in that moment. And now I think we're about to see like, is his upside. I mean, like I like sort of shudder at saying this, but is he, is he kind of clay like, and like his ability to defend with a different type of strength and hit some, I think some crazy type of um, playmaking outside shots that are ultimately so crucial for jaws game. Or is he, I don't really have a downside comp, but is he just not that? Let's just, I'm not not saying he is clay, but he has that type of role along, kind of role alongside of John. Is he an undersized shooter who can be streaky? And yeah, yeah. fair. Like, is he, I don't, I don't even know the the, the right comp, but like, yeah, I just, I just think we're going to, and I, my bet is that we're going to see that he's more like, yeah, this is a guy you got to expect on your team. Who's not? Who's like you expect to pay him a good bit in the next couple of years, based on what he shows us in these playoffs? I mean, I you know it's funny. I I would tell, um, 
I remember talking to some of my, a lot of my friends who were doubtful about Jaron and, uh, and I remember like showing him clips of those like amazing warriors seasons where it was like Steph was hunting clay and clay was running all over the place. And clay, you know, was having those three points that, uh, there's like, where he hits like four or five threes in a row, the crowd's going crazy. And I was like, this could be Jaron. Like that, like this is what potential. And now, I mean, now I'm like, well, hopefully it could be Jaron sometime soon, but it it's definitely could be Bane. And it might be one of these where we're going to be looking up and jaws going to be dribbling crazy all over the court, looking for either of them. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm over the moon for Bane. I think he's everything we would want. And I think it so far his size does not seem to matter. I think we only feel his size when Melton was the third was was playing three. Um uh but when we have Dylan, when we have any wing with size, Zaire even, I just never feel like his size matters. And so I think he's I mean that's I, I would be I don't know I there's a very short list of people I would trade Bane for. <sighs> very short. One one thing I was just thinking about is who are our guys where if like a majority of them are hitting shots, we're going to be almost impossible to beat. And I was just thinking about the group of Jaron, Bain, Dylan, and Melton. If three out of those four guys are like hitting shots at over th- hitting threes at forty percent or better, we're going to be really really tough to beat because you're going to have to stay honest, and then Ja can do anything like, at that point. Can you imagine game one in the forum when Bain has his first like little like pump fake just sidestep to the left, patent it just like little fly by little King. flick, just like three that just like hits nothing. I mean like like but but counter what if the moment kinda looks a little bit different for him. Like let's just say the lights get a little bit brighter. Mm-hmm. It's it's not and I just I don't really with him I don't really expect it. Like I, I think he's such a gamer. Well he's got that, the ultimate green light. Like yeah. he should never like if anything, that's what this yeah. year showed me, is they want him to take as many shots as he yeah. can take. Like all of a sudden him having the ball <laughs> the, the, more in the regular season. The only person keeping him from taking as many shots is Dylan. <laughs> but him having to be forced to playmate with the ball in his hand so much, if he now has to take a step back in the playoffs to now just be more off ball and one to two dribble to shoot, sure. how much easier is that for him to score versus what he was right. asked to do in the regular season? Totally. No. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's, I mean, and also, I mean, our points in the paint, that's a lot of Bane, too. I mean, those cuts from Steven Adams, the, the assist from Steven Adams and cuts, he does not, he's not afraid. I mean, uh, nobody's like Jaw, but Bane's not afraid to go into the lane against taller guys. And so, I mean, I'm, and, you know, and again, he's, you know, uh, he's young. I mean, he's only going to get better. It's unreal. Man, this is just getting me so excited. Saturday, two <laughs> thirty. I got two more things, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, there's an article that came out this afternoon. We're recording on Monday night. The uh, the city and county. I don't know if y'all saw this. Yeah. They uh, basically came to an agreement about um, the lease under FedEx Forum through 2029. Basically, the city and county are going to uh, lock in sort of a fixed rate that they're going to to pay. FedEx form instead of this like sort of outdated agreement that they had about like comping tickets that didn't get to a certain threshold. Anyway, it's great news for Memphis uh, because that was the one question mark in the lease that had been written about for a while, but we now are locked in for the next at least seven years here in Memphis. And uh, hopefully at that point, I mean, they've been working very collaboratively on this through a pandemic, which could have, 
left open a lot of liability in in that lease, and so it's it's a great great uh, news for for the Grizzlies and Memphis both. Uh, last thing, we are doing a giveaway this week for Grizzden merch. So enter the giveaway. You'll get to pick out any piece of Grizzden merch, um, and uh, we will be hopefully printing that for you before the playoffs. So uh, check our social media accounts for details on how to enter that. We're doing a big giveaway so that you can rock Grizzden merch at the home playoff games, first of which will be on Saturday, second of which we'll see. Uh, anything else? Last thoughts? Go Grizz. Go Grizz. And thank you all for having me. It was great. It's Hope I didn't much. Let's go. I'm very excited about the playoffs and the future of the Grizzlies. And so um, I appreciate you all having me on to, this, so that I could uh, express myself a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this won't be the last time, John. We appreciate it. Uh, for Brantley, for John, for Ty, shout out. Grizz Cub. I'm Will. Thanks for joining us.